as I said, it will be helpful if you, if you do have a Bible open in front of you as we look at that and uh, a couple of other moments in Ephesians as well. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we do ask particularly this morning that you will open our eyes, open the eyes of our hearts, that we will know the goodness of what you have done for us, of who you are to us, of what you have promised us, and as a result that it fills our hearts and strives us to live in anticipation of that wonderful day when we will see it with our eyes. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, today is Vision Sunday, where we do aim to fix our eyes on the vision of what God wants us to see. That that vision is, is painted on the rich tapestry, if you'll pardon the mixed metaphor, painted on the tapestry of the Bible, throughout the pages of the Bible. And today we're looking particularly on what it has to say in Ephesians chapter 1 here. Because what's in your vision matters. What you see makes a difference. It's, it's like when our family goes on holidays up the coast, like to Port Macquarie, as we sometimes go. As we begin the journey, all we can see about our destination is the sign that says where we're going. You know, Port Macquarie, 200 kilometres. But that's okay to begin with. At least it tells us that we're going in the right direction. And as the number gets lower, we're getting closer. But then as we get closer, what we start to see is billboards advertising the destination, Port Macquarie, and there's pictures of dolphins and the ocean, and that kind of gets us more excited about where we're going. But nothing quite compares to that moment when you do kind of come over a hill and finally you see it. You see the ocean, you see the beaches, maybe you don't quite see the dolphins, but you know that they're there. You see where we're heading, and that really motivates and inspires us to keep going those last few kilometres of the journey because now we can see where we're heading. What we can see makes a difference. And that's true in life as well. You know, that is, people are often motivated by goals that, that, that we can see in, in our mind. And they, they help us in what we are striving for in life. So uh, it might be career goals or uh, sporting goals or academic goals or, or relationship goals. They become the vision that they strive for in life. What's in your vision makes a difference for how we live, for our motivations, for what we do, for what we love, for what we live for and what we look forward to. And, you know, the reverse of that is also true, right? That is, it's hard to live for something. It's hard to be motivated, to be captivated for something if you have no vision for what that is. Or if you have a vision for something else that is kind of blocking your vision or distracting your vision or conflicting with that vision. It's like when a kid is supposed to be eating their dinner, but they can see a lollipop in front of them. What is it that they're going to focus their attention on? Or when Helena and I, sometimes we try and go out on date nights to dinner somewhere and we've kind of developed this rule over time that I'm not allowed to sit where I can see a TV. You know, when you go out to some places, there's sport on TV because we know that if I can see the TV, that's going to be distracting my vision. I'm not going to be focusing on what I should be focusing on. What you can see matters. And so the question that we're asking today is, what's in your vision? Or more specifically, as we read from verse 18 there, what does your heart see? That might seem like an unusual 
question, but that's the question that this part of Ephesians asks of us. And if I could sharpen it for us just a little bit more as we begin, does your heart see what God wants it to see? Does your heart see that vision that God wants you to see and to be captivated by in your life? That's the question that we're looking at today in Ephesians 1. And the first thing that we're going to notice is from verse 5 is, is, is that we have every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. And we are jumping in kind of at the middle of a chapter here. So did you notice that the first words of verse 15 says, for this reason? And so to understand what that reason is, we need to go back to see what he's talking about. And that takes us right back to verse 3. If you've got your Bibles there, you can see in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1, he says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he goes on to tell us what he means by that, what those blessings are. That we are chosen by God before the creation of the world, made holy and blameless in the eyes of God, adopted as God's dearly loved children, having redemption and forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus because of his lavish generosity that he has poured out on us, that we can know the will of God for our lives and for his world. That's the reason that Paul thanks God for in verse 15 at the beginning of our passage, that we have every spiritual blessing. That is something to thank God for. But did you notice that in the very next breath, he also asks God for something? And so that kind of gets me wondering, if we have every spiritual blessing, what possibly is there left to ask for? It's kind of like, you know, that question that you sometimes ask, what do you give the person who has everything? I don't know if you've got people in your life, friends or family, who maybe they don't actually have everything, but it seems like every time they want something, they just go out and get it. And so when it comes to Christmas or birthdays and you want to get them a present, they've already got it. And so we have that expression, what do you get for the person who has everything? Well, I think this verse makes us ask the question, what do you pray for the person who has every spiritual blessing? Because we do have every spiritual blessing. So what does Paul pray for us? The, verse, the next verse 17 gives us the answer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's the thing that Paul prays for people who have every spiritual blessing, to know God better. That is, that God's the one who gives us every spiritual blessing. And so Paul prays that we will know him and the riches of the blessings that we have in him, all the more, all the better. So think about it like this. There is no new thing. There is no new spiritual blessing that we need from God. We simply need to know what we have all the more, all the more deeply, all the more richly. And so while there is nothing new that we need, there is also no place for complacency in the Christian life. To think, well, I've got what I need. You know, I'm saved by Jesus. I'll just put that to one side. 
put it in a drawer somewhere while I get on with the rest of life. As if you know, living the Christian life is like having an insurance policy, you know, an internal life insurance policy in a drawer somewhere. I'm sure like, uh, like me, you've got, if you've got a car, you have car insurance. And with our car insurance, I have to say, I don't think about it all that often. You know, sometimes it's good to know that I've got it. It gives me a certain amount of peace of mind. And that time when we forgot to renew the insurance and had a car accident, that wasn't a great combination of events. But most of the time, I don't really think about our car insurance all that much. It's not exactly front of mind day to day. I don't, I don't pull out the insurance policy every time I'm about to go driving just to check the terms and conditions. You know, it's not something that I think about day to day. And as I said, I wonder if some Christians think about living the Christian life like that, like it's some kind of eternal insurance policy. It's good to know that my eternal destiny is secure, but it's not exactly front of mind from day to day. That's not what Paul wants for us. That's not what God wants for us, and it's not what Paul is praying for Christians and what we should want and pray for ourselves and each other. What we should want is to know God better and to know what we have from him all the more fully and all the more deeply. So let me ask you at this kind of introductory point, is that your desire for yourself and for those around you, to know God better, to know the richness of those every spiritual blessings that we have because of Jesus? Or are you content just to know that you're saved and then get on with life like everyone else does? And if I could just try and put some uh, concrete uh, ideas onto that, I've found that when it comes to knowing God better, it's helpful to have three kind of uh, pillars in our regular lives of what that involves. And that is church each week, hearing, hearing from the Bible in church each week, in Bible study each week, and reading the Bible in our own personal Bible reading each day. And that's not kind of set in stone, but it is really helpful way to go about knowing God better. Because our hearts and our minds will be filled with all kinds of stuff every day and every week. And so it's important that we take every opportunity that we can to fill our minds with wisdom and revelation from God. And I think those three things are a helpful way to do that. So that's our first point. That if we're going to have our vision set in the right direction, that we know God better. Our next point, really, in the next verses, kind of expands on that idea of knowing God better, to see what that looks like in more detail. And this brings us to what I think is the key verse of this passage, where Paul prays, as I said, to have the eyes of our hearts opened, enlightened. Let me read now verses 18 and into 19. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably incomparably great power for us who believe. The eyes of your hearts enlightened. I don't know if you've ever considered the fact that your heart has eyes, It might seem like a strange idea. It's 
obviously not talking literally, eyes in your heart, but I also suspect that it's not that difficult to understand what that's getting at. It's when you don't just know something to be true theoretically, you know, believe that it's true, but that your heart sees it and loves it and looks forward to what that thing is. You see it with your heart. And so perhaps you can also see that opening the eyes of your heart goes very closely with the idea of hope, which is what he says directly afterwards, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Uh, I've said before that hope, I think at its simplest, is just looking forward to something. That's what hope is. But also, it's the thing that you're looking forward to. And so the Bible talks about hope in those two ways. It's looking forward to something, and it's what we look forward to. That's what hope is. And so if I could give an example, if I've got an exciting weekend planned, but it's Monday, and there's a long, hard week ahead of me between now and then, then the hope of the weekend is what's enabling me to live with hope throughout the week. It's what enables me to look forward to it and to be excited about it, to have joy and to persevere through it. And so opening the eyes of our heart is about living with hope. It's that your heart sees what your head knows, that your heart loves and looks forward to what you know to be true. That's what living with hope means. That's what opening the eyes of your heart to see the future that God has promised us means. And so if we could come back to our last point, do you see now how knowing, knowing God better and hoping are really tied quite closely together? Because you can't really look forward to something and get excited about something and live with hope of something in the future if you don't really know it. You don't really know what it involves. But on the other hand, the better you know it, the more it fills your heart with hope and the joy that goes with that hope and the perseverance that goes with that hope. It's like years ago when our family went on that holiday to New York that I think I've mentioned before. We, we've got family over there and we decided it was time to visit them and we started planning to go four years in advance, planning and saving up, getting ready to go. But I have to admit, when we first decided to go, I wasn't that excited about going to New York. I kind of tend to prefer going to places that have beaches or mountains, you know, natural beauties than concrete jungles, cities, and New York is, in my view, the, the ultimate city. But during those four years, I started researching stuff about New York. I started finding out about the cool food culture that they have there and all the amazing museums and how the city is kind of broken up into these really distinctive and different sections. And as I started to learn more about it, my excitement started to grow because my knowledge about it started to grow. And that kind of became self-perpetuating. I started researching you know, this hamburger joint in that part of the city and and this cafe in some other part of the city, and I started getting excited about it. And so what it did was it began to paint a picture for me of what it was that we were looking forward to. I now had a vision of where we were heading. That was my hope. 
My heart was beginning to see it and to look forward to it. That's what hope does. So when it comes to our hope, what is it that the eyes of our hearts need to be opened to? And it's not a holiday in New York. It's all there in verses 18 and 19. Let me read them again. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for those who believe. There are actually three things there that he wants us to know and to see with the eyes of our heart. The hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And so I just want to take a moment now to look at each of those three briefly. So firstly, open the eyes of our hearts that we may know the hope to which he has called you. Literally, the hope of your calling. That is, the hope for the future, hope is always future-oriented, that comes from God calling us in the past. And so this hope actually does look back to those every spiritual blessings that we have if we trust Jesus that I mentioned before. We can't have that hope without that calling. And so our hope will grow the better we know who God has called us to be and what God has called us to have. That God has chosen us since before the creation of the world to be his loved children, to rest securely in his loving care, to be made holy and blameless, forgiven and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, that nothing of what I've done or who I am will be held against me, And in fact, that I will be changed so that nothing about me will be undesirable at all. That's who God has called us to be. And that's the foundation of our hope. Those things are true of us now if we trust Jesus. And in the future, we will see and we will experience that with every sense that we have and every fibre of our being. We will see him We will hear his voice. We will know the goodness of his love in every way possible, in every aspect of our lives, in every part of who we are. Does your heart see that? Is that what you're looking forward to? Is that the motivating desire of your heart, to know that all the more? That's the first thing. Open our eyes to know the hope to which God has called you. The second thing is that we may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The future that God has promised us will be rich beyond compare. You might be aware the Bible talks about streets paved with gold and eating at the feast of the king. The material goodness of the future that God has planned for us is beyond comparison. That's part of the reason, actually, why we don't need to live for riches and for material prosperity now and how we can persevere through difficulty now 
because the future that's in store for us is just so good and so secure. That's what we live for. But having said that, when the Bible talks about the riches of the inheritance that God has for us, it primarily talks about it in relational terms, not just material. That is, it's the inheritance in God's holy people. That is, as one person has put it, the future that God has promised us won't be a private party for each one of us as individuals. It will be a celebration of God's people together. And it won't be spoiled by the problems that we can sometimes have when we get together because God will change us so that our love for each other will be perfect. There will be a unity and a love that will make our life together such a joy. And that's why the Christian life now is not a solo activity. We do it together now because we will do it together then. That is part of the goodness of the future that God has promised us. Do you want your heart to see and to love and to look forward to what God has promised in the future? Then that must include seeing your glorious inheritance as our glorious inheritance together. That the Christian life is best lived in fellowship with each other. That's the second thing. And finally, open the eyes of our hearts to know the power that God is working in us. And this really is quite remarkable because it says that the power that God is working in us is the same mighty strength that raised Jesus from the dead. The power of the resurrection, the power of new life that can literally bring the dead to life. One day, God will bring our dead mortal bodies back to life like he did for Jesus, if Jesus doesn't return before then. But that same power is working in us now so that we can live that life now. And so if we have that vision of the resurrected life, the eternal life in the eyes of our hearts, then it should motivate us to live the resurrection life now. That means the life of love and kindness, life of generosity and humility, the life of patience and compassion and forgiveness, and the life that turns away from anger and gossip, from lust and greed, from jealousy and pride. That's the resurrection life that we will live one day perfectly And the power of God's spirit is working in us now so that we can live that life now. And so is that the vision that you have for your life? Do the eyes of your hearts see that life that God is working in you now and that he will complete and perfect in the resurrection of eternity? Open the eyes of your hearts to see that life now and to live that life now. As I said at the beginning, it's one thing to have a hope for the future and if we trust Jesus, we do. 
But it's another thing to really know that hope, to see that hope, to live with that hope in our hearts, to have the eyes of our hearts fixed on the vision of what that hope is. So let me finish with the question that we started with. What does your heart see? What is the vision that's motivating the desires of your heart? Is the vision of your life filled with things that you see around you? Lollipops and TVs, so to speak. Careers, entertainment, family life. Are those things blocking the vision that God has for you? Are they distracting the eyes of your heart so that it's focused on those things? If that's how we live the Christian life, then of course we are going to have a short-sighted faith. Of course we are going to have a malnourished faith. Or does your heart see the vision of the future hope that God has planned for you? Do you know it? And importantly, are you seeking to know it better? Seeking to know him better? So that you are all the more looking forward to it and all the more living for it and that you have the joy and the perseverance that that hope gives. It's only with that kind of hope that we can live with joy and perseverance. You notice that these words are a prayer, that we will see this vision that God has for us, that the eyes of our hearts will be fixed on this vision. So it's only fitting, I think, that we pray, that we too have the eyes of our hearts opened as Paul prayed. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do pray again, as we have already this morning, that you will, for each one of us, open the eyes of our hearts. Father, we don't want to just have a hope in Jesus, but we want to know it all the more deeply and all the more richly as we know you all the more fully. Father, we want to have the hope that you have called us to in the front of our vision. We want to know the riches that we have in you. We want to know the power that you are working in us. And so, Father, we pray that you will do this in us by your spirit. And we also pray, Father, that you will turn us away from those other distracting visions that are perhaps in the eyes of our heart. Those things that are blocking us from clearly seeing what it is that you have promised us and denying us perhaps of the joy that comes from having our hope in Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.